I invite you to turn, please, to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 35. The title of my sermon is Rechabite Religion or the Influence of One Godly Man. As we read the passage, I want you to see the influence that Jonadab, the son of Rechab, had upon his sons and daughters. We need a revival of that kind of religion in our day. Rechabite religion. Have you found the passage? Let's begin at verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go unto the house of the Rechabites, and speak unto them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jeazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, and his brethren, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, which was above the chamber of Maaseah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. And I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites, Pots full of wine and cups. And I said unto them, Drink ye wine. But they said, We will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. Neither shall ye build house nor sow seed, nor plant vineyards, nor have any. But all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you be strangers. Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he hath charged us, to drink no wine all our days. We our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in. Neither have we vineyard, nor field, nor seed, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. There. What do you think about this story? Isn't this an interesting story from the Word of God? I want to help you to see four things. First, I want us to talk about the commandment to the Rechabites. Did you see the commandment that Jonadab, the son of Rechab, gave to his sons and daughters? He said... 
You are not to drink wine, you nor your sons forever. Now that's a good commandment for parents to give to their children, isn't it? Baptist people appreciate a commandment like that just on the surface, do we not? However, we can better appreciate the commandment when we understand the historical circumstances in which it came. You see, Jonadab did not live during the days of Jeremiah. He lived approximately 300 years before Jeremiah. He lived during the administration of Ahab and Jezebel. Do you remember King Ahab? He was a spineless specimen of a man. He was a moral coward. And he was henpecked and manipulated by his wicked wife to do evil. And Queen Jezebel was meaner than a junkyard dog. (laughs) When did you last know of parents naming a new baby girl Jezebel? It just doesn't happen. It's because of the meanness and the wickedness associated with her. Under their influence... The nation of Israel fell to an all-time low morally and spiritually. And God passed the sentence of judgment upon the house of Ahab. He commissioned a man named Jehu to be his instrument in punishing the house of Ahab. It's at this point in the history where we encounter our man, Jonadab. Jonadab joined in affinity with, became a partner with Jehu in executing the judgment of God upon the house of Ahab. Those of you who have read this biblical account recall that when the king of Judah and the king of Israel rode together out across the plain of Jezreel. It was Jehu with Jonadab who intercepted them and put them to death. They rode into the city of Jezreel. Jezebel had tired her hair and painted her face. It was Jehu with Jonadab who said to the eunuchs, Throw her down from the upper level of the house that she might die. And the dogs licked her blood. It was this man under these circumstances. A man who had seen the moral and spiritual decline of the nation. A man who had seen the licentiousness and the lasciviousness associated with the consumption of alcoholic beverages, it was this man who got under a heavy indictment from holy justice regarding his personal responsibility for the moral and spiritual welfare 
and well-being of his own sons and daughters. And he gathered them around him one day, and he gave them this commandment. He said, you are not to drink wine, you nor your sons, forever. And guess what? 300 years later, when God wants to teach Israel an object lesson in obedience, he says to Jeremiah, Bring those sons of the Rechabites into the house of the Lord. Set pots of wine before them and invite them to drink. I've got something I want to show you about obedience. Now, God is not tempting the Rechabites. He knows what their response will be. For for 300 years, they have been obeying their father's commandment. Now, I tell you unashamedly, when I first saw that in light of the history, and I contemplated the influence that this godly man had upon his sons and daughters, I could not contain my jubilation. And in the privacy of my study at home, I shouted for joy. And I cried, oh God, I want to be like Jonadab. But after a while, my jubilation subsided. And I was gripped with a compelling question. How did he pull that off? How can parents command their sons and daughters moral and spiritual principles and 300 years later, generations removed, they're still obeying the commandments? That question ought to grip the heart of every parent and grandparent in this room tonight. Are you interested? I shall offer three suggestions. Number one, he taught them by exhortation. By that I mean he laid the law down. Do you folks know what laying the law down is? He said this is the way it's going to be. We're not even going to vote on it. We're not calling for a symposium. It's not up for debate. God has charged me with responsibility for your moral and spiritual welfare. And today, I'm standing up. And I am stepping out in front, assuming my God-given responsibility to be the moral and spiritual leader for our family. Now, in my opinion... The greatest single need in Christian family living is for men to stand up and step out in front of their wives and their children and begin to assume their God-given responsibility to be the moral and spiritual leader for their homes. And no amount of success will ever compensate for failure in this area. But now I have wondered what might have happened 
if Jonadab had lived in our day, don't you imagine he would have had sons and daughters like yours and mine? Can't you hear one of his children saying, Dad, Dad, excuse me, can I speak? Why are you doing this? Everybody drinks wine these days. You can buy it at the 7-Eleven. It's at the Pack-A-Sack. It's at the Bag and Shag. It's everywhere. You know that when we go to the country club to have lunch after church on Sunday, many of the folks there have been to church and nearly all of them are drinking wine. You are going to make us appear to be a bunch of wild-eyed fanatics. Why are you doing this? Now, I believe Jonadab would have taught them not only by exhortation, he would have taught them by explanation. I do not believe he would have backhanded them across the mouth and said, because I said so, that's why. I believe he would have recognized a principle in education called teachable readiness. Children are never more ready to be pointed beyond parental authority to the authority of the Lord God than when they ask why. And had he been in my case, he might have said something like this. Now, son... You know how much we love our dog. When my son Joshua was one year old, some preacher friends of ours got together and bought him a registered Basset Hound puppy. And Josh and I talked it over. Admittedly, a one-sided conversation. And we decided to name that dog Old Deacon. And some of the brethren recoiled and said, Well, why would you have named the dog Old Deacon? And I said, Well, now that you've brought it up, I suppose there are several reasons for it. Number one, he doesn't attend Sunday school. And number two, he doesn't tithe. And number three, he whines a lot. And number four, the next time I get mad... At a bunch of deacons, I'm going to kick that dog. <laughs> I believe if it had been in my case, he'd have said something like this. Son, you know how much we love our dog, but we wouldn't keep a dog at our home that bites one out of every three people who come by to see us, would we? Now, I don't know about you folks, but I don't have that many friends to begin with that I could keep a biting dog at my home who indiscriminately bites one out of every three people who come by. And yet, son, the U.S. Bureau of Statistics tells us that today 15 social drinkers start down the same path together, and when the dust has settled, when the bottom line is in, it reads like this, three of them 
are problem drinkers, robbing the family budget of priority money for alcoholic beverages. Two more are confirmed alcoholics. That's five out of 15. Reduce that to its lowest common denominator, and that's one out of three. Now, son, why would we want to keep a bottle of wine at our home to serve to our guest on a casual social basis, knowing that if they drink with us socially in the end, now it won't happen next week or next month, it might be five years, it might be 20 years, but in the end, One out of three is either going to be a problem drinker or they're going to be a sopping drunk. Why would we do that? We ought to have the moral and spiritual welfare and well-being of our friends in mind when they visit in our home. Are you all getting any of this yet? I don't think Jonadab would have been intimidated. He would have gotten his Bible down. He would have opened the book to the Proverbs. He would have read it to his children. Who hath woe? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that seek after mixed wine, in the end, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. And he that is deceived thereby is not wise. I believe he would have explained why. And number three, I believe he taught them by example. You'll never convince me. He could have pulled this off sitting around on Saturday afternoon watching the Arkansas Razorbacks beat the Crimson Tide and drinking a six-pack of Budweiser. The old adage has not lost its power nor its punch. What you do, speak so loudly, I can't hear what you say. Except kids nowadays say it more pungently. They say, what you do, speak so loudly. I don't care what you say. It is an exercise in futility. It is a waste of time to exhort your sons and daughters' moral and spiritual principles unless you're willing to mirror and model for them the worth and the value of those principles in your everyday life. So we have the commandment to the Rechabites. Now, I want us to move from that, and I want to talk to you about the compliance of the Rechabites. Now, this section in my sermon ought to have three subdivisions, but for the life of me, I can't figure out what to call one of. So I only have two subdivisions. However, I do have a lengthy transitional statement. I want you to see the quick 
and resolute response of the Rechabites. Listen to it. Get the picture in your mind again. The prophet has brought them into the house of God. The prophet has set pots of wine and cups before them. The prophet has invited them to drink. But quickly and resolutely they respond, We will drink no wine. And they did not add before its time. Paul may son, notwithstanding. There wasn't going to be a time when the Rechabites would drink wine. I've wondered what might have happened if this had been brought up at a Southern Baptist convention. I can just hear some of the more conservative types saying, no, we're not going to do that. Only to have some of the more moderate brethren come to the podium and with an angelic and melodious voice say, now, my brethren, it is obvious that we are caught up today in the fewer are of our emotions. This is a volatile issue. And good men are on both sides. Let us not be guilty of making a decision today based upon our emotions, one that we would regret in years to come. After the spirit of Gamaliel, that noble teacher, may I suggest that we put off making a decision today and that a seven-person committee be formed. I would suggest two pastors, two laypersons, two denominational employees, and one token woman. And let these come from the seven geographical districts in the convention so that by all means we maintain geographical balance. Further, I would suggest that we appropriate $100,000 from contingency funds to meet their expenses and let them study this matter and bring us back a recommendation at next year's convention. Now, If you think such a scenario could not have been played out at a Baptist convention, that's proof positive you haven't attended a convention in the last 20 years. It is the opinion of this country preacher from Arkansas that there are some things we shouldn't have to vote on every year. There are some things we ought to have our minds made up on. By now, if we don't know yet what the Bible teaches about abortion, about homosexuality, and just as an aside now, I want to tell you I wake up lately and go to bed shaking my head in utter bewilderment, wondering what in God's name 
are Baptist thinking when some of them lately have what they called ameliorated their thinking about homosexuals. God have mercy on us. If we don't know yet what the Bible teaches about the consumption of alcoholic beverages, about the major moral issues of the day, Tell me where have we been for the last 2,000 years? And when are we going to get God's book down to read what the Lord's been saying all along on these issues? And furthermore, when you have to appoint a study committee on a moral issue, you lose any credibility you might have had with an unregenerate world. And I'm telling you the best thing parents can do is while their children are young and pliable and teachable, impressionable, go ahead, endure the rigors, expend the time and the energy and exhort them. And explain to them an example for them the worth and the value of godly principles. Now having said that, here are my two subdivisions. I want you to see that their compliance was complete. In verse 8, again in verse 10, they said, We have done all. That Jonadab our father commanded us. Not part. Not some. Not most. We have done all. That Jonadab our father commanded us. Not only was their compliance complete. It was constant. Day by day. Week by week. Month by month. Year after year. For 300 years, they've been obeying the commandment. That is shouting ground for those of us who lead in Baptist life. Today, if your church wants to run 200 on Sunday morning, you have to enroll about 500 in Sunday school. Today, the Southern Baptist Convention numbers over 16 million members, but on a given Lord's Day morning, less than half of these will even bother to attend worship at the house of God. Today, far too many Baptists are hot, and cold, up and down, in and out. Johnny come lately, here today and gone tomorrow. God give us a revival of Rechabite religion that would get us up to date and keep us constant 
in our compliance with the commandments of God. Now, you know enough about good preaching, those of you who've been attending Glen Iris all these years. You know that good preaching gives an explanation of the text. It gives an illustration of the text. It argues the theme, but good preaching also applies the text. And so by way of application, let me ask you this. Are you up to date in your compliance with the commandments of God? Now, I'm not asking you if you're spiritual. I'm not asking you if you can attend a Bill Gaither homecoming jubilee and tap your foot to the music and cry crocodile tears. Now, this is not a put-down of Bill Gaither. Don't bring it up or I'll get you. No, I love Bill Gaither. I'm just telling you. I'm talking to Baptists. I'm talking to the family here tonight. You know what a lot of Baptists will do? They'll drive a hundred miles and spend a hundred dollars to attend a Bill Gaither homecoming jubilee, and they'll tap their foot and pat their hands in tune with the music, and they'll cry crocodile tears, and they hadn't been to church in Sunday school in five years. I'm not asking you if you're spiritual like that. What I'm asking you is, are you up to date in your compliance? There's nothing uh, superfluous here. There's nothing that's going to... Gain you any celebrity here. What I'm talking to you about is the nuts and bolts of the Christian life. I'm talking to you, have, are you bending your knee? Are you bowing your head and your heart to the commandments of Holy Scripture and saying, yes, Lord, yes. Don't you long for a revival like that? Now, here's the third item. I want you to see the contrast to the Rechabites. Three things. The Rechabites obeyed Jonadab, a mere man. The Israelites disobeyed God Almighty. Number two, the Rechabites obeyed Jonadab, who spoke but once in his generation. The Israelites disobeyed God, who spoke in every generation rising up early and sending the prophets. Number three, the Rechabites obeyed Jonadab, who was dead and gone. The Israelites disobeyed God, who was alive and well. He had power both to reward obedience and to punish disobedience. What a contrast. I tell you, the people of God ought to be standing out in bright contrast to the meanness and wickedness and the darkness of our day. Now, here's the fourth item. I want you to see the consequences to the Rechabites. Would you look down at the last verse, verse 19? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Jonadab, 
the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. Jonadab will never see the day when he won't have sons and daughters standing before me, obeying me, ministering before me. Oh my, how could God make such a promise as this? I'll tell you how. God has not only appointed the men, God has appointed the means for bringing those men to salvation. And one of the chief means that God has appointed is the ministry of a godly home life where there's a Jonadab and a righteous wife by his side. And together, they feel the weight and the burden of their responsibility to bring their children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now, they sense their imperfections, and often they come to the close of the day wringing their hands and shaking their heads. And one of them says to the other, what are we going to do? They are not getting it. They're not getting it. And they talk about it. And they pray about it. And they say, dear God, once again, we thank you for our children. We receive them as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. Dear God, help us to hit the target with our children. And Lord, would you providentially compensate for our shortcomings today? Lord, when we rise tomorrow, may we be better parents than we were today. And they rest and they awake refreshed with renewed zeal and commitment to stay with the stuff, to stick with the scriptures. And one day, a glorious day, the Spirit of the living God takes this incorruptible seed of the gospel which has been planted and watered over and over again and He births those children into the kingdom of God. And now, you have two-dimensional teaching. These Kids get married and have children. And they hear it and see it from their parents and their grandparents. And the Spirit of God converts them. And they get married. And now there's three-dimensional teaching. Parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. And it's almost like those great-grandchildren hardly even have a chance. It doesn't matter if they are at home, if they're over at Granny and Papa's, or if they're over at Mimi and BD's. That's Big Daddy. Doesn't matter. The folks with whom they spend much time, the folks whom they have for role models, are walking right down the middle of the path obeying the principles and enjoying the privileges of godly living. And one generation teaches another, and 300 years later, 
God can say to Jeremiah, bring those recobites into the house of God. Set pots of wine before them. I've got something I want to show you about obedience. Well, glory, glory. I want to tell you something, beloved. Take courage. Be hopeful. If Jesus tarries a hundred years, if Jesus tarries a thousand years from now, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to continue on in perpetuity. And I want to tell you, the family of God is going to continue to increase. And the witness that you and I give humbly and faithfully today to our family is going to last on and on. And they're going to teach another generation and they another till Jesus comes. Hallelujah. And praise the Lord. Well, let's bow our heads and pray for a revival of Rechabite religion. Father, would you write these things upon our hearts? Would you place them before our eyes? Lord, cause us this day to think on these things, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be inspired by them. And now, Lord, help us to bend our knee and bow our hearts afresh in complete compliance to the will and way of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen.